0: Good afternoon, Mr. Fassami, is this you?
1: Yes, I'm looking for the guest room of Jason D. Hamilton, please. Did you call earlier? I did. You disconnected me, or somebody disconnected me. Right,
0: but there's nobody there. But let me transfer one more time. Okay. Thank you.
1: That was some jazzy music that you just interrupted. We were all very, very much entertained by the music on hold. I hope you've got something to add that's going to be more exciting than what I just heard in terms of music.
2: Do you want me to scat? <laughs> I mean, what do you? What do you want me to do? I don't know. I, I didn't hear what you heard. I don't know what you. I don't know. It what was to great. Say.
1: It was like a little bit of a French. It had a French flair to it. You are in Vancouver, B.C. We called. Mm-hmm. I called not less than two or three different times. Disconnected the first couple of times. I thought. I think they thought something was fishy, something was mm-hmm. up. And uh, the second time I called just now, they said nobody was there when we pushed your phone call through the first time. I don't believe that you ever got my phone call the first time. So I I've don't. Never,
2: know. I've been. I've been sitting here for the last fifteen minutes. So yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. You, you now know where I. You now know where I was in those fifteen minutes. I was negotiating with front desk people to connect me you have some sort of a special vip thing going on there that I'm a, they uh, yeah
2: yeah i'm on a quiet floor
1: what does that mean <laughs> like
2: at, at, 10, at 10 p.m. you know the, all all noise you know oh i see there's no there's no ice machines on this floor
1: ah does podcast no, count as as noise? Are you allowed to do a podcast after ten well, o'clock at you, night? Well, your
2: your voice is making my ears bleed. So if that's <laughs> if that's part of it, then yes.
1: How do we find you in Vancouver? Did you spend Mother's Day in Vancouver? Give us a snapshot of Mother's Day in the Hamilton in the Jason D. Hamilton family today.
2: Yeah, it was it was actually fairly low key this year, in in part because. Um, I had to come up to Vancouver BC this evening so I have early early morning meetings in Vancouver over the next couple of days so my mom definitely connected with my mom and and my wife, but uh, didn't connect with my sisters and and sister in laws but um yeah no it was good but then i had to i had to hit the road and, and head up to vancouver well, I
1: hope all the mothers out there i don 't know how many mothers are listening to us right now on episode number thirty nine you know thirty nine has been a big number for me over the years episode thirty nine the faithful thirty nine episode thirty nine mm. Uh, yes. I hope all the mothers had a great Mother's Day. I know that you echo those sentiments, and uh, I 100%. wasn't able, obviously, to be with my mother. She's about 3,000 miles away in Florida, at 84 years young, and uh, thought about mm-hmm. her a lot, uh, and thought about my my upbringing a lot. And I know that you probably did too. And when I when I think about my mom, just a quick quick note before we start the show, because we haven't started the show just yet. But uh, I, I just think back to my youth and what you don't realize then that you realize now. Don't we all have perspective as we go, grow a little older and get away oh, from sure. it all? I mean, to have three boys, I was the youngest. My two brothers are separated by 13 months. And what my mom went through for us, you don't realize it at the time, but you realize it now that this woman, and I tweeted this out earlier today, Earlier on Mother's Day, I guess I should say. You don't realize the sacrifices that your mom makes until it's too late. Well, it's not too late, but you don't, you don't get it when it's happening. Let's put it that way. My mom clearly put her own life on the back burner so that her sons and her husband could have the best of what she could offer. And it was clear that that was the case back then. And so... I think I thought a lot about that today.
2: So when I was a junior in high school, my mom was diagnosed with stage four cervical cancer. And we all thought, including herself, that she was going to die. And, you know, I played my junior year of high school basketball and had her, I put her initials on my shoes. It was to that point where I thought like this was going to be it. And, um, so, let's say that was 1991, and I'm still celebrating her in, in 2019. She she made it. Wow. Uh, wow. She made a plaque for me, Mitch, um, a couple of years after that. That just said that being able to see my games was part of the reason that she made it through chemo and radiation and you talk about sacrifices you talk about um you know a mother's love and just their dedication to their kids um you know it's it it, it surpasses understanding sometimes yeah and so um you know my mom is still to this day the kind of kind of woman that I've been on the radio for university of washington basketball for 17 seasons and she listens to every game i mean I don't know you know that kind of dedication uh that kind of want to 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 be around our kids and follow them and support them. You know moms are just a different breed, and uh I know your mom's no different, but um you know, happy Mother's Day to everybody out there, all the moms who are listening.
1: Couldn't have uh, said it better myself and thank you for sharing that. I didn't know that story and i'm uh, I'm moved I'm very touched by that story. Episode 39 is about to begin. By the way, if you had the over of 38 and a half in Vegas for how long we'd last, you're a winner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. <laughs> I ring the bell for you. By the yeah, way, yeah. I was a loser this weekend because I, I put a few pesos on your boy Brooks Kepka going into the final round. He was three shots down. He was in third place, and they were offering five and a half to one odds on him to win in Dallas. Mm. And I thought, geez, he's chasing a couple of no-names, in the final round, he's a couple of shots back. He's going to go low. He's going to win, and I'm going to win five and a half to one. Didn't win, Didn't work out that way for me, Jay Ham, so I'm a loser in my, in my wager this weekend. Uh, I need to get a plug-in for the patron shows. 38P was really good. If you're a patron, you heard it. Maybe. Maybe you didn't. We had Gary Stevens, the Hall of Fame jockey, on. We had Dean Blandino, the former NFL VP officiating on Rules Changes. Uh, by the way, 37P going back a week. Movie mogul Max made his unfiltered debut. If you are not a patron, you are missing the second show of the week that we enjoy. And it kind of goes off the track. That, that show, how would you put into words, J-Ham, how that show tends to be a little different than these shows?
2: Well, it's it's way more unscripted. Not, not that we're scripted anyway, but just, just kind of... <laughs> It's zanier. It's uh, it's it's a little bit more. You and I just flying by the seat of our pants. I think it's a fun show. I think it's awesome. Uh, you know, I, I can't really describe exactly what I would say it is, but uh, you know, I think the patrons. Yeah. Um. Get a lot out of it, and that's sort of why. Because I think it's fun.
1: Thirty, you're a patron too, by the way, right? I am. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, I am. Yeah.
2: Thirty-nine
1: P. That's funny. To only you two, you and I. Thirty-nine uh, P will be out later this week. If you're a patron, and if you're not a patron, it's very easy to sign up. All you got to do is go to MitchUnfiltered.com, and there's a little a little link there that says "Become a Patron" or "Be a Patron." And hit that button and you sign up for as low as $5 a month and you have access to all the bonus content, including the second show each week on Thursdays, the commercial free show that comes your way mostly on Thursday. As for episode 39, Jay Ham and I will banter in the first and last and in between, Dave Burkett of the Detroit Free Press will join us on what Ziggy has left, if anything, in the tank. Brady Henderson, the Seahawks insider for ESPN.com. Tons of stuff. Al Woods, the new defensive tackle that they signed a few days ago, did the Seahawks. Baldwin and Cam retiring. Could Baldwin come back after a year? We're going to talk about that. Uh, Ziggy and Dominican Sue, maybe. Mini Camp stars, DK Metcalf and the like. Also, We're going to have Kevin Pelton, the NBA writer on the conference finals and LeBron's new coach and the two game sevens over the weekend that were unbelievable. The shot by Kawhi, which you obviously have seen by now, Jay ham Jalen Noel, could he be coming back to Washington? We'll talk to Kevin Pelton about his NBA draft coverage. Plus, something that 38P patrons heard that the others have not. What were your thoughts on my call to the Dairy Queen in tiny Monday? So the story is is that this this first-round draft choice of the Seahawks, L.J. Collier, is from tiny Monday, Texas. He played on a 1A football team, 1A, and it goes up to, I believe, six. Six Yeah, Texas. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Monday, Texas, it was so small that I figured, what the hell? Are there restaurants there? And I found that there were three restaurants in Little Monday, Texas, one of which is a Dairy Queen, and I just called it on a lark. How, <laughs> Without giving too much away, uh, those four and a half, five minutes, how'd they treat you
2: the other day, Jay Ham? Well, again, without giving too much away, I guess the odds are pretty good that what happened happened, but it's still <laughs> stunning. Absolutely stunning that it that it happened the way that it happened, and I think uh, I think people are going to enjoy enjoy listening to that. That's for sure.
1: Episode thirty nine uh, brought to you in part by the Kirkland Office of Guild Mortgage. If you have a house, if you own a house, a mortgage and you enjoy Mitch Unfiltered, then do me a favor. Take a look at your terms, because a refi sounds intimidating, but Jordan Flowers and his team makes it so easy to put cash in your pocket. Evergreen gov called the premier wealth manager in the Northwest, headquartered right here in Bellevue. Find out more about what Tyler and the guys and girls do at evergreengovcall.com. Zeke's Pizza, if you listen to Mitch Unfiltered, then you know Zeke's Pizza delivers pizza, craft beer, salad, ciders, mix and match right to your door. Not a third-party delivery service. Order at Zeke'sPizza.com and Daniel's Broiler with four terrific locations. And your invitation to join us on June twelfth at six thirty p.m. Daniel's Bellevue—a special Mitch Unfiltered evening. Beer, wine, appetizer, steak, salad, sides, desserts. We'll be telling stories and answering questions on the eve of the U.S. Open and putting together a Calcutta pool to boot. All you got to do is go to MitchUnfiltered.com and click on the top banner to reserve your spot on June 12th at 6:30 at Daniel's Broiler Bellevue for a very special evening. Are you ready to start it off, Jay Ham? Let's go. Episode 39 begins now unfiltered the guy that you're talking about that played on the asian tour plays on the mini tours was a great college player that's a guy who with a snap of the fingers could shoot 64 in the in the first round of the yeah. byron nelson golf classic and put yeah. himself in position to help himself for the next many years to get yeah. his career jump started and tony romo is a novelty act who's going to shoot close to 80 on both days and miss the cut by 15 or 20 shots unfiltered yes is this the dairy queen in uh, monday texas Yes. Tell me about Monday, Texas. I hear that there's a, a former ball player that played at Monday High School that's a yes. Seattle Seahawk named L.J. Collier. You ever heard of him? Yes. Tell me about him. What do you know? I
0: know he's my best friend's cousin.
1: What does a guy like L.J. Collier eat when he comes to Monday, Texas' Dairy Queen? He eats burgers, I think. He eats, but how, many can, how many burgers can a guy of that size put away?
3: He eats like...
1: Burgers. He doesn't eat the vegetables, though. No vegetables on the burgers? No. All right. Mitch is unfiltered. All right. Episode 39 is now officially. It was never underway officially. Now it is. Please, please, please (laughs) subscribe, listen, and rate. If you're somewhat new to the podcast, you have the power to really help us make this a long-term venture. If you'd like to see Mitch Unfiltered prosper and hang around for a while like I would, maybe start adding some shows more than just the Monday show. We ask you to do us a favor. Click play on all 39 shows. Even if you're not listening to the whole show, a click goes a long way on your favorite podcast player or just go to MitchUnfiltered.com. Okay, some business Jay Hamm, we always start the shows, the Monday shows, with some business, all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, PGA Championship picks. Are you prepared? This is the last show before we actually start the PGA Championship. Are you prepared to make a pick? Are you going to wait till like, the Thursday patron show to make a pick?
2: Well, I'm not prepared to make a pick in this segment, maybe okay. in the last segment, okay. but I, I probably will wait.
1: Okay. You know the Mitch Unfiltered Majors Challenge presented by Evergreen Cove Call, right? You know what that is. That's our four, our compilation, our contest that involves all four majors. We started with the Masters, and we're giving away a trip for two to Pebble Beach with me to go stay at the Pebble Beach Lodge in July and play Pebble Beach and Spyglass. We are giving away that trip to the winner of the Unfiltered Majors Challenge presented by Evergreen Golf Call. Now, what do you do? Well... If you've already made a pick for the Masters, doesn't matter how well you did, how well your pick did, you've got to make sure you go back to the site and make your pick for the PGA Championship, which begins this week. Now, you might be saying, what if I didn't make a pick for the Masters and I didn't get into the contest? You can still win, right, Jay Ham? If you get hot, if you pick the winner, let's say, in the PGA, or you pick the winner in the British Open, or you pick the winner in the U.S. Open, or a combination thereof, you don't have to make picks in all four of the events. It helps, but we're going to yeah. take everybody's picks and we will compile the dollar amounts won by their players over those four. And And you've asked me this before. Can you choose the same player every time? Yes. The answer is yes. So if you had, if you had Tiger Woods in the Masters, you can have him again at the PGA, U.S. Open, British Open. You just want to make sure you make your pick. If you've already made a pick at the Masters, you know where to do it. If you haven't, just go to the website again, MitchUnfiltered.com, and there's a link. But make sure you make your PGA Championship pick today, which I guess is mostly on Monday when people are listening, Tuesday or Wednesday before the start of the PGA Championship. Okay, item number two, Jay Ham, on the business. Mm-hmm. Tons of people, and you can explain this better than I can, are complaining every single Monday morning on their Apple devices that they're not getting any notifications of the new new episodes of Mitch Unfiltered. Clarify with that. For for those of us like me who don't have an Apple phone, uh, have an Android device, explain what the problem seems to be. But it's not with everybody. It seems to be kind of like half and half. Explain this to me, please.
2: Well, Apple Podcasts typically will give a notification. If you have your notifications turned on, um, you know, within the podcast, if your notifications are on, you you typically will get um, a screen that flashes up that says Mitch unfiltered episode, so-and-so is available. Um, And I've, I am a person that listens to it on Apple podcasts. And I would say that it's about 50, 50, that i've I've gotten that notification and it and really I shouldn't say it's fifty fifty it's more like seventy five percent of the time I'm getting it, but it also depends on when I'm getting it. sometimes I get it at five in the morning, sometimes I get it at eight sometimes I get it at eleven so there there seems to be something about apple uh podcast that that is that is different than other platforms um and I might just be one of the the uh you know. Fifteen people that aren't no, getting them. No, at, there's a lot more than the no. Morning.
1: There uh, now, you're yeah. ta- now uh, just to be clear, you're talking about the notification, right? You're not talking Notific- about you're not talking about the delivery of the episode itself. You're getting that no. on time, early, early in the morning on Monday mornings, right?
2: Yeah. So if I if I want to check myself, it's there and available. That's very different from. Uh, the Apple podcast showing up on my screen and and notifying me that it's there so that I can just click on it right away and go right to it. If I go to podcasts... And click on Mitch Unfiltered. It's it's always going to be there. But I'm talking about the notification um, that lets me know that it's there has right. has only been coming right. and not and not frequently. Yeah.
1: Well, I don't have a good answer, but I have I can explain to you the attempts that I've made. I have spent hours and hours and hours emailing, tweeting, talking to representatives of Apple, and I have made zero It's Mm. like banging my head against the wall. Trying Mm. to find the department that's willing to talk to me about this problem. And the best best that I've gotten, and I'll say it here on the podcast, is to those of you that are not getting the notifications, uh, many of you are because I'm hearing and I'm seeing a lot of the notifications, and many aren't. The best that I can say as of the moment is maybe to unsubscribe and then subscribe again. Maybe that would help. Get you the notifications on Monday mornings when these new episodes arrive. Other than that, I've got nothing for you. I've got nothing for you because they're not helping me. And and everybody I talk to or email, they tell me to email. They tell me to send notes. Everybody I send notes to and I talk to, I've talked to senior advisors. I've talked to everybody I can find that is willing to talk to me. And nobody is willing to say to me, yeah, you've got the right person because nobody knows what to do. Zero I don't I get the sense that Apple has never heard of this problem <laughs> of of notifications going to half of the people who subscribe to our podcast and not going to the other half. I guess yes. I should feel I I guess I should feel relieved that at least the show is showing up for people who've subscribed. right? You subscribe. Correct. When you subscribe, you don't have to go f- search for Mitch Unfiltered. It comes right no. to your right to your podcast. It's just a question of whether there's something that says, hey, the new episode 39 of Mitch Unfiltered is is here. It's here for you right now, right? That's what's not showing up with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I'm trying. That's the best I can do. I'm trying. I'm not getting anywhere. I feel like I'm just, my wheels are spinning in quicksand with Apple. I can't get the right person to help me with this problem. No one seems to understand it. And I'll continue the efforts. Is the best I can say.
2: All right? Best of luck.
1: Uh, Thank you very much. If you want to take on that challenge, feel free. Uh, Athletes to name the show after 39. Let's quickly go through the uh, the local yokels. Eric Hansen of the Mariners, Rafael Soriano of the Mariners, and Sugar, Eddie Diaz, wore Hmm? number 39. So that's not bad, right, Eddie Diaz? Well, for a short stint, sure. Man, he had a great year last year. Uh, again, no Sonics ever wore the number 39, so we don't have to deal with them. By the way, don't worry, because 40 is coming, which means the Rain Man is on his way to episode number 40. We'll see if the, uh, if the show is named after the Rain Man, but so is Gale Sayers going to be uh, talked about in number 40. Uh, the best 39 we can find for the Seahawks is Brandon Browner, who I think has been accused of a, attempted murder, by the way. Um, and then the best University of Washington standout is a guy named Dick Sprague, who in 1950 was an All-American defensive back for your beloved Washington Huskies. He also lettered in basketball, track, and football. Basketball, track, and football. Three-sport letterman in the 1950s. War number 39 for the University of Washington. Uh, and then nationally, you got Dave Parker, the Cobra you got Mm three-time NL MVP catcher Roy Campy-Campanella, who probably would get it in most circles. You've got Dominic Hasek of the NHL, a goaltender, who wore 39. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Just the way you said that. I don't know if I said it right. I think it's maybe Hasek. And then a certain fullback who had the rare combination of starring on the college gridiron at Syracuse University – and then starring on the NFL gridiron for the Miami Dolphins. Fullback, Hall of Famer, the Zonk, Larry Zonka, number 39.
3: With a change of strategy, the Dolphin running attack now turned to simple, brute power. Larry Zonka and his escort, a perfect blend of back and line, man-on-man blocking and man-on-man
4: ball carry.
1: Would you like to take a guess who in the final segment the show will be named after?
2: Do you think you have any nope, shot? I'm, I'm going to leave that to, leave that to you because I'm 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 sure it's wide open. Uh,
1: no, it's not real wide open. Um <laughs> All right. Let me get a couple of laundry list uh, items out of the way here, topics for conversation here in the first segment. Then you and I will come back in the final segment and clean everything up after all the interviews and the call to uh Dairy Queen. Uh we talked a lot about Ziggy in 38 P Ham. I think we should go over it one more time here on this uh on this episode 39. It looks like it's a $9 million contract base salary with an opportunity to earn up to like $12 or $13 million million, depending upon how healthy mm-hmm. he is and how many sacks he gets. We're gonna have Dave Burkett who followed every game of Ziggy in Detroit and he's going to tell us what he predicts Ziggy's outcome here in Seattle will be knowing Ziggy very well knowing his injuries very well how is a Seahawk fan repeat for everybody how you felt when you heard that they signed Ziggy Ansah as their pass rusher to uh, kind of supplant or to to come in for where Frank Clark left
2: yeah, I know I was I was excited about it. I I mean, you know, you talk about one of the guys that was one of the more efficient pass rushers last year when he was healthy, when he was on the field. Um, you know, the biggest question is, can he remain healthy and, and can he have that kind of productivity? So I think, from a risk reward perspective, from from you know the guaranteed money slash incentives, I think you know he's the best guy on the market to go get, and, and Seattle got him. So you, you've got to feel good about that, especially not having Frank Clark on the roster, and uh, especially at the salary cap number that that Anse is going to command. So all in all, I'm I'm in favor of it. Yeah, I don't think
1: he had any choice. Is my is my opinion. I think, uh, and and by the way, there has been there have been rumors and reports that he may not be ready for the first week of the regular season. That it might be into the year before Ziggy can play for the Seahawks. Uh, maybe not playing in training camp. Maybe not playing in the exhibition. Maybe not playing in the first few weeks of the season. That his shoulder is still on the mend, and the Seahawks know this. But I'm with you. Look, if you if you are going to go for it in 2019. If you want to be the best that you can be in 2019, didn't you have to make this signing? Didn't you have to go out? Because you have all this money now that you saved on Frank Clark. You've got more money that you've saved on Doug Baldwin and Cam Chancellor now that they're officially going to be retired. So you've got all this money to spend, even though he may not pan out, even though he may not be healthy enough to play, even though he may not ever be the Ziggy Ansah that he was in Detroit, didn't you have to, if you're going to make a run at 2019, give him the one-year contract with the uh, with the incentive clauses and just roll the dice and see what you're going to get from him? Didn't you have to do that?
2: Yeah, you you had to you had to figure out a way to to get a veteran who's proven it. And, again, he was the guy that, that seemingly was on the market that was available that you, you could allocate some money towards and say, like, if this guy can be what, what we think he can be, he he's going to be a difference maker for us. So, yeah, absolutely. You had to roll the dice and and make an acquisition and a signing, and, and we'll see. I mean, it, it doesn't bode well what you just said about potentially his injury bleeding into the season, but at the same time um, – it's an incentive laden contract, which means if he's not if he's not ready for week one or week two, you know that's that's less on the uh, on the guaranteed money that he was supposed to get. But it also hurts from a productivity standpoint. So it, it's a risk for both sides, and I think you know it's one that you had to take.
1: I think it was a limited risk for the Seahawks just because they have the money to spend, and there's really no other player, maybe outside of Indama and Sue, to spend it on. So either you don't spend it at all. And I know this is, uh, you know, this is the Allen estate money, so it's easy for me to spend somebody else's money. But I, I felt like it was a very minimal risk for the Seahawks, even if he doesn't pan out. Okay, so you you give him nine million dollars, and, and so what? It didn't pan out. You mm-hmm. had to you had to make the take the chance and roll the dice. I, I you know I know that they've signed now this guy Al Woods from the Indianapolis Colts, a veteran like thirty two or thirty three year old defensive tackle, which we'll talk about with Brady Henderson in an upcoming segment of this podcast with all the other Seahawks news. But I still make a run at Andomak and I They've got a they. they really? St- oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, again, I asked the question if you're just going to save the money, you don't need... Everybody who thinks that you need the money to sign Bobby Wagner, I don't get that. I don't get the rationale of that thinking. Even if you want to re-sign him now before the, the season starts, which I'm sure they want to, those those long-term deals that you sign with these guys they actually end up having a cap number that's the equivalent or less than what he would have made at the final year of this contract.
2: That's right. Right? That's right. So, Especially when everything's front-loaded with the guaranteed money and all that. That's the, right. The, the, the signing bonus. Yeah, for right.
1: sure. It's amortized. So so the, number, yeah. the salary cap number, even if they give him a whopper of a contract, which he deserves, it's not like you have to use the excess of salary cap dollars that you have right now on Bobby Wagner. So again, I ask the question, are you better off just saving the money? It's not like you rolling. I guess you can roll over a little bit to next year, but if you've got the money to spend and you are and, and you're the weakness of your defense is up the middle, and Indama Kinsu is standing out there and he's willing to do a one year contract like Ziggy, which you can walk from next year at this time, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I don't I, I don't understand. Somebody would have to convince me of. of a a fair explanation of why you wouldn't take a run at Sue, even if he's still only 75% of what he is, I'd rather have 75% of and Sue than the money sitting in my pocket underneath the salary cap and not spending it on anybody the rest of the the offseason, right? Right. So, you know, I know they're not going to do it. Uh, you're going to hear Brady Henderson talk a lot about it. But, you know, he's a Pacific Northwest guy. He's out there. He can be had. He's probably better than most that they have right now, if not everything that they have is in terms of a run-stuffing defensive tackle. I, I don't see what the hesitation is. Anyway, uh, one last thing before we uh, wrap it up. We get all these interviews in and we make our 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 call to the Dairy Queen in Monday, Texas. Uh, Doug Baldwin, I'll ask you the question that I asked brady henderson for the future segment of this episode 39 there's something about me that thinks that doug baldwin has not played his final down in the national football league Hmm. i don't know i i just he seems to me like the type of guy that wants to go out on his own terms and yeah he's banged up and yeah he can't physically play right now and yeah he's coming off of three surgeries I don't know what his age is. He's not that old. I guess he would be the same age as what Richard Sherman. They came out the same year, right? as he, he was an undrafted free agent. So why why do we close the book on the notion that he sits out the entire year in retirement and his body mends And then a year from now, he's got a little spring in his step. He's much healthier having not played football for a year, that he doesn't say, you know what? I still got some game in me. I can go sign now wherever. I can go sign and play with Tom Brady if I want in New England. I can go anywhere. I can come back to Seattle and play one more year. I I, don't think it's preposterous to think that Doug Baldwin, even though he's supposedly retired, I put the quote marks up, I don't think it's preposterous that Doug Baldwin plays another down in the National Football League. I don't think I'd make it 50-50, but if somebody offered me, let's say, two or three to one, on my money, I might take that wager,
2: Jay. Well, I will tell you, I, I completely disagree. Okay, I um, unless, like you said, there's a miraculous health recovery, and, and I don't, I don't claim to know or profess to know all of the ails that Doug Baldwin has. Uh, I do know that multiple surgeries over the last couple of years is never a good thing when when you're you're an aging NFL player. But that being said, in a lot of situations where guys continue to play um it's it's in part because they have nothing else to do or they haven't accomplished the goals that they set out to accomplish doug baldwin has has won a super Bowl doug Baldwin has played eight years in the n f l and eight or nine years in the n f l and and he has He has far surpassed what the expectations were for his career. But that being said, Doug Baldwin also has, I think, just as bright or a brighter future outside of football than 99.9% of football players and i think that will also dictate how he approaches the next chapter in his life and whether or not even if he's physically able to come back and be productive and and you know catch 60 balls and do whatever um that that might not be enough for him to say the allure of Uh, of being in the spotlight in a different way or being an advocate or being a CEO or being a whatever is, is not more attractive. So I I actually don't think he'll play again. And I don't think that he, he needs to, Um, I'll be really anxious to watch Doug Baldwin for the rest of his life versus in the next one or two years to see what his NFL career is all about.
1: And everybody, including me agrees with you on that point that he has a lot to give outside of the NFL, and he's more prepared for life after football than everybody else. And I couldn't agree more with you and everybody else who said it. But it seems to me that he's also a competitor, and he also probably somewhere in his heart would like to go out on his own terms instead of injury mm. terms. And, mm. I, and, I'll, and I, I've said what I've said. I don't need to repeat it. I don't have any information. I've not spoken to Doug I, I could be completely wrong. I remember saying the same thing about Marshawn Lynch, and everybody thought I was crazy on the radio when I kept on saying he's coming back. When the when the shoes are up on the line, he's coming mm-hmm. back. I thought he was going to come back and play for the Patriots a year or two later. But I I was I was convinced when Marshawn Lynch. Now I'm not comparing Marshawn Lynch to Doug Baldwin. I I just wonder. You know, right now his body is beaten down. He's a he's a small guy in football terms. He's suffered through a lot of off-season surgeries, and he's mending right now. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: probably he would laugh at the idea of this if he heard us talking about this on the podcast. I just wonder whether he'll be chuckling at the idea a year from now when he's feeling great physically. He's feeling great. Yes, there's a million things that he could do off the field, but could he wait one more year? Could he push those things off an additional year to come back and play football one more time and he can pick his spot, right? He can pick wherever he wants, to go, wherever he thinks he has a shot of being of being valuable and maybe winning a title and playing with a a great quarterback whether it's Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, he can pick his spot a year from now. I just would in my mind I have not closed the door to the notion of seeing Doug Baldwin catch a ball in the NBA, in the NFL at some point in the future. Anyway, that's the way I feel about it. Let's get some really interesting interviews in here and a call to the Dairy Queen. We're going to have Dave Burkett to tell us how much Ziggy Ansa has left. He of the Detroit Free Press, he covered every one of Ziggy's games in Detroit for the Lions. Brady Henderson, ESPN.com, Seahawks Insider on all of this. I'll ask him the same Baldwin question. Kevin Pelton on the NBA, ESPN.com writer. The conference finals, the game sevens, the Kawhi shot. I got to get your remarks on the Kawhi shot in our last segment, Jay Ham. The NBA draft, will Jalen Noel come back? And uh, Plus my call to a Dairy Queen in tiny Monday, Texas, home of LJ Collier. All of it coming up, and then Jay Ham and I will finish things off in our final segment. So my friend Jordan Flowers in the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage has a question for you. Should you be considering refinancing your home? Well, that depends on the rates of your current loan, right? 30-year fixed rates are in the low fours at the moment, which means if you're at 4.6%, 4.85%, higher you should be looking at refinancing and lowering your monthly payment. Guild Mortgage can set the payoff schedule to the amount of months that you're already into the loan, so you don't lose any time on the payoff. But the biggest savings will come from reamortizing your loan over a new 30 years. And on top of that, because of the appreciation likely of your home, if you've got mortgage insurance, you could look to remove it now and lower your interest rate, which means huge monthly savings. Listen, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage has three loan officers that are in the top 1% in the United States, and they're huge fans of our podcast and supporters. So make sure that you call them and you mention Mitch Unfiltered when you call. 425-250-3150. Again, 425-250- 3150 over 55 years as a mortgage bank one of the oldest around the 2017 jd power number one lender in customer satisfaction the kirkland office of guild mortgage at 425-250-3150 unfiltered bridgewater wants to throw look in middle steps up gonna get hit gonna go down sack Ziggy did it. Sanchez wants to throw. Hit for a hard ball on the ground. Sack. Ziggy's got the football inside the 15-yard line. Two receivers, right, one left. Wilson gonna
3: get hit. Gonna go down. Lost the football. With three on the ground. The Lions have got it. It's recovered by Ziggy Ansah. What a freak play too by Ziggy to knock it out, then dive
1: over Wilson and take that football away. Well, the big local story, no question about it this past week, the signing of Ziggy. Ziggy is coming to Seattle after spending the rest of his career in Detroit. And joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, Dave Burkett, Lions insider, reporter, Detroit Free Press. You can follow him on the Twitter at Dave Burkett, and that's B-I-R-K-E-T-T. Dave, the YouTube videos, the highlights, Ziggy coming off the edge could make a grown football man blush, but uh, no videos or YouTubes of him standing on the sideline in street clothes or in training rooms getting treatment or at home while the Lions are playing on the road. So there's two sides to this story. Pick it up from here if you wouldn't mind.
3: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Very talented player, very talented pass rusher. Uh, Came within a half sack of setting the Lions franchise record for, for sacks a few seasons ago, but just has had a lot of trouble staying healthy over the course of his career. I mean, it's been little things from a high ankle sprain to, you know, bigger things like a a little nagging knee injury. And then last year he missed a a large chunk of the season with a, you know, with a shoulder injury, tore his labrum, needed surgery on that. So look, it's a, it's a high risk, you know, high reward type signing, I guess, because you don't know exactly when he's going to be back on the field, but if Ziggy Ansah is out there for whether it's 16 games or 12 games or whatever it is, uh, he's he can be an impactful pass rusher when he's on the field.
1: Do you think he's at the point of his career, Dave, where the Seahawks have to be careful how they use him and how much they use him in bringing him in on pass situations, long-yarded situations? Or do you think once he's healthy, you run him out there and play him on rundowns and pass downs alike?
3: No, I, I think you know. What, well, what happened with the Lions last year was you know he injured his shoulder in the first week of the the regular season, the first half of the first game. Really, he he missed you know six weeks or so. Tried to come back, and when he came back, the Lions only used him on pass rushing situations, and and that's when he re aggravated the shoulder. I think, look, yeah, it, it, you know you probably want to make sure that he's there for the stretch run, so you don't want to overuse him early. But the flip side to that is he's only on a one year contract. So, uh, at some point, you're going to want to get everything that you can out of him. So, I think you probably start him off slowly, uh, but end of the day, you want him on the field. That's the only way that he can be effective. And so, if we're talking about he's, he's had a pretty healthy season up until November or December, that's when you let him loose and let him play. Because he's a really good run defender, too, when he's out
1: there. Oh, he is. Okay. We're listening to the voice of Dave Burkett, the Lions reporter for the Detroit Free Press, at Dave Burkett on Twitter. Uh, you saw Adam Schefter's report, Dave, that... It could be at least a month of the season before he's ready to play. So maybe the Seahawks even know this, that, you know, they're signing him for the middle to end of the year next year. you know anything about that and how the season ended and his injury situation with the Lions after week 17 last year?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I reported back this spring that, you know, Ziggy had surgery after the season. Uh, you know, his, his team, his camp sort of thought that he'd be back in training camp. I know as he was making his rounds to some other teams, um, you know, the, the Ravens, the Bills, there were a handful of teams that he visited, the Saints, some of those teams thought that it was an injury that would carry him to the regular season, you know, that he might not be, he wouldn't be ready for the start of training camp, he might not be ready for the start of the regular season, so everything that Adam reported jives with, with what I know. I know the, the four-month mark was sort of the you know, kind of a, a, I guess that's sort of a milestone in, in recoveries from, from labrum injuries. And, you know, that's, I think when he, you know, he went back and took a couple more visits uh, mid April after he hit that mark. So, they, you know, maybe they have a little bit better idea what it's going to be now, typically six to eight months recovery. Um, I would suspect that, you know, he's, you know, again, you, you probably uh, just to, to get the most out of him, you don't necessarily need him on the field playing, 45 snaps a game in, in week one. Uh, so if, if you know, it might behoove the team to, to take things slowly with Iggy. And if that means missing a week or two and ensuring that he can be out there in November, or December, I think that's probably the best course of action.
1: Maybe even a PUP list. To start the season, Dave certainly could. I mean, you know, if he's not
3: ready, I would expect that he would, you know, start training camp on on pop at the very least, and then you sort of look at his recovery from there. You know, right, if it's right. going to be a, a two or three week injury, there's no need to to start the season on on pop, but. Uh, you know if it's going to be longer than that, yeah, it's it's best to have him ready for or or playing down the stretch, I guess, in some of those big games. So no need to to carry him on the roster if he's not going to be on the field for for those first six weeks.
1: and of course, as you know, Dave, we're not just talking about a guy who had a shoulder injury. He had a high ankle sprain a few years ago. He played through a knee injury a couple of years ago. Now there's the shoulder surgery. I read some of the Lions fans' remarks. On your Twitter, when you suggested that he would get double digit sacks here in Seattle, what would you say? How would you characterize the way Lions fans feel about this uh, formerly, what, fifth overall pick in 13, third overall pick, something like a top
3: five? And uh, fifth overall pick, and I'm standing by that. I, I do think he gets 10 sacks, and, you know, look, that's going to be if he plays 12, 13 games, whatever it is. I, I think he's that good a pass rusher when he's on the field. Um, you know, he actually has had surgery on both of his shoulders. I believe it was the left one after his rookie season, um, just something left over from college that they went in and, and needed to fix, and then uh, the right one after this year. So, look, he, again, you know, the, the injury history is long, and I think Lions fans – don't totally or haven't totally appreciated what he's gone through I mean you know you and this is the case with every fan base you know he they want to see their players on the field and Ziggy just wasn't there enough and especially when you you factor in the money you know the Lions franchised him last year 17 million dollars you know he only gave them four sacks and about 150 snaps Um, I think those things Plus the uh, you add in the secrecy that the, the Lions had about his injury during the season, you know some people thought maybe he was dog-headed or didn't come back, and that wasn't the case. Uh, it was it was time for for both parties to get a fresh start.
1: Yeah, uh, we're with uh, Dave Burkett of the uh, of the Free Press. Listen, in your piece recently, in the last couple of days, I'm not sure the date of it, you said something like he had 12 sacks a couple of years ago, but was wildly inconsistent. I think that any Seahawks fan would say, geez, we'll take 12 sacks, right? Where do we sign up for 12 sacks? That would replace Frank Clark's absence uh, off to Kansas City. (laughs) Explain to Seahawks fans what you mean by a 12-sack guy being wildly inconsistent during the season.
3: All right, so that was, uh, I believe that was the 2017 season that he had 12 sacks, and he got three of them against Eric Flowers and the New York Giants early on in the season. And uh, then he was... He was hampered by the knee injury. I mean, he missed some time in camp that year. Um, was was you know just wasn't effective for really about a month or two. I mean, just you know he, there were he went a long stretch without having any sacks, uh, and then he closed the season with a, a pair of three sack games. And it was against, I think it was the Bengals who had a really decimated offensive line at the time. I can't remember the the other team, but essentially nine of his twelve sacks came in three games, and you know the other three. Um, you know, I, I keep a pretty detailed sack chart, and I think one of the other three, at least in my estimation, was Akeem Spence. It wasn't even his. But regardless, he was good early in the season, and he was good late in the season when he was healthy. It was just that middle stretch where where he was banged up and, and he couldn't get to the quarterback where, you know, it it seemed like, you know, kind of a lost cause when he was on the field. Dave, so, yeah. again, Ziggy's had a lot of injuries. You just need to keep him healthy.
1: Yeah, Dave, one last question about Ziggy, and then we'll wrap up with just a couple of quick hitters about the Lions. Uh, Bob Quinn was quoted in one of your pieces. It's saying, Ziggy's extremely, extremely tough, and I'm proud of him being a Detroit Lion because he, like Matthew Stafford, played through some things that a lot of guys wouldn't, and I appreciate that. I guess that answers my question, if he's being honest, of whether anybody in Detroit Lions fans question his toughness and his desire to get back as quickly as possible from the, the set of injuries
3: absolutely and, and like I said you know I think part of the lions fan you know angst or, or anger with him was was just that he wasn't on the field and they weren't getting any sort of explanation because Ziggy's camp was quiet Ziggy didn't want to say anything he didn't talk for a long stretch last year the lions weren't saying anything about his injury you know, he was around the team still. So people were kind of like, and at one point it it seemed like he was going to come back maybe after about a two or three week absence. So when that extended to four or five and six weeks, people sort of looked at it like, well, is Ziggy, you know, is he just trying to get fully healthy for, so he can cash in on a new contract as a free agent? That wasn't the case. He hurt that shoulder pretty bad. Like I said, the first half of week one. So um, clearly, you know, he's been through a lot in his career. I think, uh, you know, he's made a lot of money, but I do think, you know, he wants to be out there and he wants to be rushing the passer and getting sacked.
1: If it compares to the success that Cliff Averill had after leaving the Lions as a defensive end and coming here to Seattle, I think Seahawks fans would be really, really appreciative. Before you run, Dave, how's Matthew Stafford's wife doing?
3: You know, Matthew still hasn't spoken publicly about it. All we really have to go on this are the updates that she's provided on on Instagram and, and at least by the looks of it, things to be pro- – Seem, seem to be progressing well. She's at home now. She went back to the hospital for a brief period, but she's posted regular updates with her and her kids. Um, things to be going seem to be going well there. Long recovery still ahead, but uh, all signs point to a, a full recovery from Kelly Stafford.
1: And finally, how'd the Lions do this offseason, or how are they doing this offseason? In, in the draft, I saw where they picked the tight end out of Iowa and they passed on the defensive lineman out of Houston who can uh, rush the passer Any skepticism amongst Lions fans over that decision? (laughs)
3: Well, they uh, they certainly remember the Eric Ebron being drafted over Aaron Donald decision by the Lions oh. a few years back, and, and they equate that with the same thing. They're sort of hoping that this isn't the same case. But, look, I'll tell you, I think the Lions, you know, they had a number of big holes coming into the, the season. They signed Justin Coleman, who you know well, obviously, yep. to be their nickel cornerback. That filled one hole. They gave big money to Trey Flowers and free agency, and, and obviously they spent a top-eight pick on, on TJ Hawkinson, the best tight end in the draft. So I think they, they filled their, their biggest needs. Uh, but I'm not sure that any of those guys is is really going to put them over the top. Um, as I still look at the division, they they still look like the fourth place team in the NFC North for me. I think it's you know there's some upside there, um, especially if Stafford comes back, has a little bit of a bounce back year with Daryl Bevel as is his coordinator. But uh, but I still think. You know, the Bears, uh, the Packers, and and probably even the Vikings are a better team than the Lions right
1: now. Oh, Daryl Bevel shines in Detroit. (laughs) Dave, you've been been good at what you do for a long time. Lions reporter Dave Burkett of the Detroit Free Press, at Dave Burkett, that's B-I-R-K-E-T-T, if you'd like to follow him on Twitter. You were really kind to me over the years on the radio show, and I really do appreciate you spending some time with me on our new podcast, Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks so very much.
3: Yep, happy to do it. We'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon.
1: Man, interesting words from Dave. Dave Burkett of the Detroit Free Press, who's predicting that Ziggy goes for double-digit sacks if he plays 12 games or more. That's a big if. But where do I sign up for double-digit sacks right now as a Seahawks fan who's obsessed with With the pass rush. So you keep hearing me reference Evergreen Golf Call on the podcast, right? Including the patron shows on Thursdays. Unfiltered Madness presented by Evergreen Golf Call. Win three great trips. Or Unfiltered Majors Challenge. Get your picks in for the PGA Championship this week. Because you can go to Pebble Beach thanks to evergreen gov call well who the heck are these guys well let me tell you the premier wealth manager in the northwest and they happen to go way beyond the northwest in 2018 the financial times named them one of the top advisors in america yeah they're headquartered in bellevue but with offices in portland san francisco and the napa valley and unlike stockbrokers evergreen is a fee only advisor no hidden fees or commissions. Evergreen is legally a fiduciary to their clients, and not all financial advisors can say that. And that means they've got a legal requirement to make financial decisions that put their clients' interests first. EvergreenGovCall.com. GovCall is spelled G A V E K A L. Sign up for their newsletter. Join 10,000 others who read it. Or take a listen to the new podcast on wealth management, the Evergreen Exchange, and rumor has it there's going to be a very special co-host making his first ever appearance on said podcast. Who said I can only talk about sports? Evergreen Golf Call, the premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered.
0: sacked in the arms of Al Woods. Derrick Henry is now in the backfield. He gets the football. He's been right away.
3: He'll lose a yard or two. Shoved backwards by Al Woods. Gives to DeMarco Murray. He's brought down right away.
1: Couldn't shake the tackle of Al Woods. Again on this drive. Impressive in this opening corner. A very busy last 7 to 10 days for the Seattle Seahawks. And here he is, our guy. Seahawks insider for ESPN and ESPN.com, Brady Henderson on the Zeke's Pizza hotline. Let's catch up, Brady, and we'll work our way backwards. So let's start with the signing late in the week of Al Woods. I don't know much about him, a defensive tackle. What, a 32-year-old for the Seahawks to plug in the middle of that defensive line? We know they're in search of defensive linemen. Pro football focus, Brady said, an overall grade of 61.2 last season, ranking 109th out of 129 qualifying interior defenders. Will the Seahawks get anything in Woods, do you
4: think? Yeah, I think he is the type of guy that they've been looking for. And, uh, you know, they got their pass rusher in Diggy Ansa, but they still needed a run-stuffing defensive tackle because, you know, they had that in Shamar Steffen last year. They let him go uh, in free agency. So presumably they feel like, Al Woods is going to be an upgrade over Shamar Stefan and he's not going to cost a lot of money. Uh, the the report from the NFL Network was two point two five million dollars, which you know that's sort of what you're looking at for a guy that you're probably only you know, going to be asked to to be you know play you know maybe thirty snaps a game. He's going to be that early down guy, and then he's going to come off the field. So um, you know they presumably feel like he's an upgrade over what they had, uh, and at least at better value than some of the other guys like Danny Shelton we're still out there at that position
1: and so we'll talk about indomitian sue in a bit you think woods will be the starter on opening day in the in the beginning in the base defense for the seahawks
4: i would say that yeah that he is the leading candidate to do that right now just because some of the other guys they have um you know that there's one veteran there and jamie meter a guy that they signed to a futures contract after the season he was available um so you're not talking about one of those really coveted free agents and then Aside from, from those two guys, it's a lot of younger guys. So uh, the fact that, that they've seemed to make him uh, you know, a priority to, to wait this long, to and he was the guy among the, the guys that were available there, and the fact that they're giving him a little bit of money there, I think that he would be the leading candidate.
1: So continuing to inch our way backwards, the release of Baldwin and Chancellor. I have been wondering to myself and anybody who would listen to me and my family, is there any chance that Doug Baldwin would feel better after a year away from the game and then come back to play another year or two because he's not that old? Or is he just finished, do you think?
4: No, you know, I I wondered the same thing, Mitch, and just asking around about that. And, yeah, it would not totally shock me if, you know, in a year from now when his body and his mind are feeling better that, you know, he he maybe gets that itch that you see a lot of players get, you know, after they're away from the game for a little while. Um, You know, on one hand, Baldwin, as we've come to know him, Um, he is a guy that I really don't think like a lot of football players really, you know, wraps his entire identity around being an NFL player, at least not recently, you know, he's a newlywed guy. I believe he, he and his wife have their first child on the way. Uh, we know he is very heavily involved in all of the social justice, you know, initiatives and things like that. So, you know, if there is any guy who is equipped to handle life after football, I would think that it's Doug Baldwin. But at the same time, what else do we know about Doug? He is one of the most competitive guys that uh, I think the Seahawks have had during this Pete Carroll, John Schneider era. And you also wonder if there's any guy who might get that itch to, to you know, to, to lace him up again. It might be Doug Baldwin. So um, for now, I think just the fact that he endured so many injuries, his, his you know, his body is really physically compromised. I think it really messed with his head too. Everything he went through. So um, definitely think that he needs at the very least this year off and. We'll see down
1: the road. Well, let's play this out for a second. Let's say he does come to the realization that, hey, I feel better. I'm not that old. Life after football could begin in a year or two. Well, now he's an unrestricted free agent. Would you think he'd play in Seattle? Would the Seahawks aggressively try to bring him back? Or do you think we might see what's blasphemy in these parts, 89 wearing a different uniform?
4: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's so hard to say just because you don't know what the receiver core is going to look like a year from now. You don't know, you know, what Baldwin is going to look like a year from now. Um, But, you know, I think it was significant the way that the release was handled yesterday um, or uh, Thursday when it happened, which was, you know, they, they did not wait for him just to retire. Um, You know, there was also some financial implications of that by actually being released You know, Baldwin is eligible for $1.2 million in injury protection, which is a CBA benefit, Um, but that also means that, you know, he he doesn't go on the Seahawks reserve retired list, so if and when he would decide to come back, he would just be a free agent, so he would be able to sign with any team. Um, As far as whether or not that could be the Seahawks, it's just hard to tell, but uh, you know that they would be one of the first teams that would at least give it a look.
1: Brady Henderson, Seahawks insider for ESPN and ESPN.com. So money saved – in the Cam Chancellor Doug Baldwin transactions, did I read your stuff on Twitter right? Is it about nine million total against the cap? Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. The, the The short answer is it would be uh, probably a gross savings this year of about nine, a little over nine million, and then if you factor in the potential injury protection, that would go down to you know around eight million in the low eight million uh, range, and so the real savings for both of these guys or for the Seahawks by releasing both of these guys is actually going to be in 2020 because they both had two years left on their contract. Um, and what happens when you release a guy with two years left on his contract, unless you do what's called a post June one designation, really, you have to pay a lot of that dead money in that first year. And then by the next year, that's when the real savings kick in. So uh, the Seahawks will save, you know, upwards of, you know, in the $20 million range in 2020, but for now the cap savings, are a little less just because yeah. you have to deal with that dead money right away
1: so my father used to say he had an expression i'm sure a million people used it a uh, money burning a hole in my pocket i got money burning a hole in my pocket are the seahawks in that situation they have some money to spend we're going to get to ziggy here in a second brady but before we get there are there are there any guys worth pursuing and dama sue seems like an interesting name he's not what he once was but he could be that run stuffer and I don't know how much money he's looking for. He's certainly a free agent. He played with Ziggy in Detroit. He lives out in the Pacific Northwest. What about Sue and the Seahawks? Are they a good match?
4: Well, he's still available and that is a big of need for them. We even heard Pete Carroll say at the owner's meetings that that is a clear area of need for them. A run stuffing, defensive tackle. They only drafted, uh, you know, one of those guys. It was DeMarcus Christmas in the sixth round. So, not really. You can't really say that that position is all the way addressed. With Sue, though, you know, I, I just don't see that being a great fit. One, he's going to cost a lot of money, and you're probably talking about another one-year rental. Now, that one-year rental, that I think that works when you've got a guy like Ansa who is coming off a down season, right? He's really motivated. He's got a lot of his money. I don't know exactly how much, but the reports are that he's got a good chunk of his money tied up in incentives. So you have a player who is very heavily incentivized to really have a great season on that one year. You know, with Sue, the the knock on him, and I don't think this is a completely unfounded uh, reputation, is that he sort of, you know, turns it on when he wants to. His motor doesn't really rev as consistently as you would like it to. So I just don't see him being a great fit here. Certainly it fills a need. And certainly the Seahawks, you know, for a team that just made its quarterback the highest paid player in NFL history, they certainly have a lot of money to play with right now. Um, and it helped, you know, trading away Frank Clark, that 17.128 million dollar franchise tag that created a lot of money there. We just talked about the Cam chancellor and Doug Baldwin savings. But remember, you know, you got Bobby Wagner coming up. You have also have Jaron Reed coming up. You need to have that in season nest egg. Uh, to to add some players as needed. So it would either be in-house guys or some of those lower-tier, inexpensive free agents.
1: Okay. The voice is Brady Henderson, the Seahawks insider for ESPN and ESPN.com. Schefter and I spoke for this particular episode with Dave Burkett, the guy who covers the Lions for the pre-press. They both think that Ziggy may not be ready until well into the season. Perhaps the philosophy of John Schneider and Pete Carroll here is let's try to stay afloat defensively for the first half of the season. Just keep our heads above water. And then we get Ziggy back, I don't know, four, five, six games into the year. He gets a lot of sacks and a lot of pass pressures late in the season, and we make our run to the postseason. Or do you think he... Lines it up in training camp and he's ready for week one.
4: Well, you know, my understanding the the report from Schefter was that I think the way he worded it was that some teams around the league feel like Ansa may not be ready by week one. You know, I, I think the Seahawks feel like he will be, or at least they think there's a good chance he will be, at least according to the people I've spoken to there. Um, but again, you know, we're talking about a major injury that required a major surgery. So there are never any real guarantees. Um, so and there's a lot of time between now and then. But but I, I don't think the Seahawks believe necessarily that it's going to be well into the season, like maybe some other teams believe.
1: Okay, uh, mini camp. Let's go backwards some more. Let's rewind it some more. You were out there. You saw a lot of the draft choices of the Seattle Seahawks. Everybody's wondering. What's L.J. Collier all about, and what about some of these other guys—the wide receiver, obviously the fast and big wide receiver out of Ole Miss, Metcalf? So, what did it look like to you out there?
4: Yeah, I mean, I would say that you know, DK Metcalf—that was probably uh, one of the more impressive sort of rookie mini camp performances that I've seen, you know, really? in covering the Seahawks and. And certainly Russell Wilson in 2012, that was the the sort of gold standard there when he jumped in and really inserted himself right into that competition. Um, you know, Kristen Michael really looked good in 2013. <laughs> really, that, that setting is set up for skill guys like that, right? Because you're just not going to really see a whole lot out of an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman because they're not in pads, they're not hitting, it's not full contact, it's not really full speed. But you are going to see a big wide receiver Uh, run down the field and really show off the the speed and the hands that he has. And that's exactly what DK Metcalf did. I mean, he looked every bit as big, every bit as fast as advertised. And, you know, again, you're not seeing the defensive backs make plays on the ball. So what what happened is you'd see a a guy run with the receiver down the field and then basically let up right when the ball arrives, but you can still feel the speed and you can see DK Metcalf go up and, and, and high point balls like that. So, Um, I would say that that was, you know, he looked as good as as a guy could look in that setting. The real test for him is going to be, of course, when you get veteran DBs in there, you get, you know, the actual quarterback, Russell Wilson, in there. You start asking DK Metcalf to do a little bit more in terms of his route running. Uh, But that was as good of a start as you could have imagined.
1: How about some of the other guys? Or is it just too hard to tell in that situation what a defensive lineman looks? I mean, Collier is the guy that they need maybe even more than Metcalf. Collier is the guy that they need to be an enforcer and a productive player right out of the gate just because of the loss of Frank Clark and the question marks around Ziggy's availability at the beginning of the season. Any way to know? When will we know whether Collier's got what it takes? And he truly is a lot like Michael Bennett, like they say.
4: It's just so hard to see, you know you can tell the size, right? we 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 uh, you know had him at a press conference after I think the first day of rookie minicamp, and I snapped a photo of him just to to give people the the idea of what this guy looks like in Paz. And he very much looks like exactly what the Seahawks look for in that five technique defensive end, which is the bigger of the two defensive ends, usually plays on the strong side. So you have to have a big body there, a big stout body. And he very much looks like that. And you saw him go through some of the bag work and the scouting term. Uh, you know, the popular scouting term is heavy hands. You know, when a guy is just a big, powerful guy that can move people. Um, and you certainly, he certainly looks the part of that. You just saw him, you know, they've got those little dummy bags set up, and you see the guy swipe at it and just make it look like it weighs nothing. So that's LJ Collier. Um, but, again, I think – you know it, it's gonna you're gonna have to see you know check with me on july 31st yeah, or whatever yeah. the first day of training camp is when those guys really start going and they get the pads on
1: and all that and so before we move on brady i'm wondering as a man who's always been accused of being obsessed with the pass rush and this may be <laughs> a little early to ask you this question because there's a lot of months to go and we don't know whether ziggy's going to be healthy opening day and we don't know about lj collier whether he's going to move inside on passing situations to stay outside I'm I'm just wondering aloud here and play with me if you would. it's a it's a third and long and a critical situation in game one a critical critical and they've got to have their their best pass rushing front four team out there. If Pete Carroll had his druthers, who would be where? on that defensive line when we need to come up with a big stop on third and long?
4: Well, you'd go Ansa, I think. And, and, you know, I, who knows where he's going to be and also when he's going to be ready, but you know, they really like Frank Clark rushing off that right edge for the last few seasons. So I think you put Ansa as long as he's available, you put him off that right edge. And then on the other side, you know, Cassius Marsh is, was really before they added Ansa, he was their most accomplished pass rusher. So as it stands now, he would be that guy on the other edge, LJ Collier, he would probably slide inside. Uh, you know, for, for all the, the comparisons that we've heard about the Michael Bennett role, it's really not just the fact that he is that five technique in these situations. It's also the fact that they think that he can move inside in passing situations like Bennett did for so many years. So he moves inside to that three technique position, and then of course you've got Jaron Reed, uh, who had who gave them ten and a half sacks last season. That was tied for the fourth most among interior defensive linemen and you know from talking to people in that organization they don't think that that was just an out of nowhere fluke they they think that uh, you know maybe he doesn't give you 10 and a half sacks again but they think that he is really rounded out into a, a three down you know run stuffer and pass rusher so those would be the four guys right now assuming Ansa is healthy
1: when you think about some of these rookies i think you and i discussed this in your last visit brady when you think of some of these rookies some of these linebackers that they got in the middle and late rounds, including the kid out of Washington and Utah. There's some safeties. One is out of the Pac-12 at Oregon. It almost strikes you. Now, maybe you could say this at any camp, at any mini camp, about any team that has a number of draft choices. But it really does hit me that their special teams coverage squads could be really good with the addition of some of these great tacklers from college and, and go-getters getting on some of those teams. Yeah.
4: I think that was one of the things that they were most excited about coming out of that draft is the impact that that could have on their special teams. And, you know, we, we think back last year and we think that Michael Dixon. you know, we just look at the fact that he had this all pro rookie season as a punter and he was great and, you know, pinning guys deep, but really aside from that, they were kind of a lousy special teams unit. you know, Sebastian Janikowski was up and down, you know, the coverage units uh, we saw them. I think they, allowed a lot of and just a lot of, a lot of big returns that you during their better years you didn't really see that um and so yeah i think jason myers is is at least on paper going to help them there you know the kickers are very volatile and yeah. you know they're catching a guy on you know who's coming off a Pro Bowl season and you don't know you never know if if the volatility is going to bring him if maybe the Bowl season means not as good of the season this year uh but you're at least getting a guy with that type of ability and then the coverage guys you know i think they were really excited about uh, Cody Barton and Ben Burke-Hurvin in particular, and, and also Marquis Blair, but uh, I think those were the two guys that they mentioned being really excited about in terms of how they can help on those special teams, and, and there is a, lo- a long ways to go there. I looked this up yesterday. Uh, it was, I think, 24th in Football Outsiders uh, special teams DVOA. They were 20th the year before, so Really, there's kind of nowhere to go from up there, and I think that, that the additions they made to feel like that's going to help them get there.
1: Okay, so Brady, before you leave us, Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, insider for the Seahawks. Follow him on Twitter. What's the next storyline? You're always – I know that you are always waiting for the next thing. We've gotten out of the way now, the baldwin Cam chancellor news. What do you think the next – I don't want to say substantial, but the next, next piece of news about the Seahawks is coming up, and when?
4: Well, I don't know if it's going to end up being an actual news story anytime soon, but the next story, the next development, I think, is going to be Bobby Wagner's contract extension. And, you know, Russell Wilson's extension was sort of out of the norm for them in terms of the timing because they usually would wait until after the draft to extend guys who are already under contract. And so now that the draft is done, and you're headed towards the summer, I think this is when you would start to see more movement on the Bobby Wagner situation. And I've made this point before, and I, I will continue making it. I don't think that this is going to be as simple as people might assume it to be. When you look at, okay, it's your all pro middle linebacker. He's 29 years old. He is the heart of that defense right now and has been, you know, for a while now he's one of the best defenders in the game. You would think that it might be you know, pretty simple, but you've got the CJ Mosley contract, which really blew, the market for inside linebackers completely out of the water, and you've got the fact that Wagner is representing himself, and that can get that can make negotiations very tricky. So um, that is that is the next step here, and and again, it's just not going to be as simple, I don't think, as, as people would assume.
1: Brady Henderson, ESPN, ESPN.com, just does a fantastic job being up on the Seahawks, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. Thank you, Brady. Thanks for being back on the podcast. Yeah, you bet, Mitch. Thanks for having me. There he is, the Seahawks insider for ESPN and ESPN.com, Brady Henderson, back on the show. And he believes, like I do, that it's not all in all far-fetched that we could see Doug Baldwin play again in a year's time in the National Football League. Would it be for the Seahawks if he decided to come back for another year or two after feeling healthier and Brady Henderson has agreed to be a regular contributor to Mitch Unfiltered come the start of training camp all the way through the Super Bowl. So I'm really excited for that. Ever found yourself looking for a spot to have great pizza, a nice selection of craft beer, a comfortable place to watch maybe an NBA playoff game or your favorite Major League Baseball team? And here's another question for you. Ever looking for a good spot to take your youth baseball team after a big game with lots of tables and a staff? that bends over backwards to make that lunch or dinner just right for the team and some of its parents, or your spring rec basketball team, or gymnastics squad, or lacrosse club. If the answer to any of those questions is, yeah, Mitch, Well, allow me to recommend one of the 16 comfortable Northwest locations of Zeke's Pizza. Dan Black and I are getting together in the next couple of weeks to come up with a game plan for Seahawks and Huskies game day viewings with me, and I've asked him to help me come up with a plan to take care of those that join me on a semi-regular basis during the football season. I love Zeke's Pizza for a lot of reasons, too many to mention right now. But what I will say is I will always remember their support of me back in the radio days and now with this podcast. So I ask you to consider supporting them. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Lola goes right at Jokic. Layup blocked by Jokic and the rebound. Throws it ahead. Murray, Murray down the court. Shot blocked. Oh, McCollum with a block. And C.J. McCollum, you want to win? show me isolated on McCollum eight to shoot McCollum the drive pushback jumper it's good CJ McCollum with 37 and it's back to three hey, yeah. Jokic goes one for two it's a big one here Two clutch free throws from Evan Turner. It's a four-point game with eight seconds remaining. Tonight, you know, we all struggle for the three-point line, but I just kept telling him to be aggressive. And, you know, he seen I had it
4: going, so he kept making sure I was staying involved in the offense and, and getting shots and then down the stretch. I just told Coach, flatten it out. Man, he can't check me. And I'll get us a bucket I'll, or at least give us a good shot, and that's what happened.
1: Terry shot clock at two, doubled, locked away, stolen by Ryan. Two point
4: game. Here comes Butler. Driving layup is caught!
3: You gotta be aware of the inbounder here if you're Philly.
1: It's off the Leonard. Defended by Simmons. Is this the Tiger?
2: Just telling them. We work on that every day. We're just driving baseline. I said, it I, missed, I missed the last one short, so I just wanted to put it up in the air and uh, got the shooters bounce.
1: Let's get our buddy in here on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, Kevin Pelton of ESPN, ESPN.com NBA writer. Very busy, Kevin, with the podcast and the NBA draft, and we had a couple of uh, NBA Game 7s over the weekend. How about that finish? How about Kawhi's bouncing jumper as he's fading away from the corner to send the Toronto Raptors into the uh, Eastern Conference Championship Series.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was an incredible day of basketball. Not quite the same finish in Portland, Denver, but uh, a game that was played on a knife's edge the whole way, much like that Toronto-Philadelphia game was. And, yeah, the, the tweet I sent after the, uh, the Kawhi shot was, you know, can you remember a game-winning shot that actually went through the basket longer after the buzzer sounded? Because, <laughs> you know, he, yeah. he released it almost right at the buzzer. It's a high arcing shot from the corner from three, and then it sits on the rim three or four times. I was watching it with my brother and my mom as uh, we were celebrating Mother's Day, and we thought, you know, okay, overtime. And then, wait a second, wait a second. no, nope, Raptors win.
1: As I watched that ball go through and I saw the highlight, as a guy who's a Clippers fan and hopes that Kawhi Leonard ends up on the Clippers after this offseason, I wondered to myself, do these types of moments Screw the whole thing up for the Clippers and everybody else. Does this make him kind of a a better shot to return to Toronto after the off season's over?
0: I mean, nobody knows how to read Kawhi Leonard. You know, even in the moment, he was so matter of fact in the post game interview as you've come to expect from Kawhi Leonard. But it, it certainly doesn't help. I'm sure that Steve Ballmer wasn't excited to to see that shot go in. It would be a lot uh, a lot easier sales pitch to him if the Raptors had in fact gone out in the second round here.
1: So, what do you think? Toronto, legitimate shot, right, against Milwaukee. Milwaukee's kind of a a new kid on the block, at least in the Eastern Conference final. You give Toronto a, a good puncher's chance, more than a puncher's chance?
0: I do. I mean, I think Milwaukee is the clear favorite. They were the better team over the course of the regular season. You know, I like the Raptors more coming into the season. Thought they had the, the best roster on paper in the Eastern Conference, even ahead of Boston who so many people liked going into the year. But, you know, what Milwaukee has done over the course of the year has really been incredible. And and they responded to a test from the Celtics in the second round and and handled their business after losing game one of that series. Uh, The Raptors, you know, every series is a new matchup and and things will be different in in this round. They won't have to face the same kind of length on the perimeter that Philadelphia threw at them. But, uh, you know, this series did expose uh some of the, the, the cracks in Toronto's, you know, depth behind Kawhi Leonard, uh, you know, particularly just the willingness of guys like Kyle Lowry and Marcusul to be a big part of the offense and, you know, they they're gonna need that and more in this series against Milwaukee because, you know, the Bucks have been terrific all season.
1: All right, local guy Kevin Pelton who writes for ESPN, ESPN.com, NBA writer, also has his Pelton cast, the fabulous Pelton cast, and we're gonna talk to him about some stuff on the NBA draft and maybe Jalen Noel. But let me ask it to you this way. Certainly, Toronto's got a better shot going into the series to beat Milwaukee than let's say Portland does to beat Golden State. But what if I told you that Kevin Durant was not going to play in the entire Western Conference Final? It was Golden State, Golden State without KD versus Portland or Toronto versus Milwaukee, full strength, full strength. Who do you choose?
0: I would still take Toronto. I mean, you you go back to uh, the the two 2000- thousand. You know, 15 matchup or 2016 matchup between these two teams, where Golden State beat Portland 4-1 in the second round. Uh, you know, obviously that wasn't as good a Blazers team as this one is now, and certainly not as experienced. Their first time in that setting, but you know, they handled them pretty comfortably before signing Durant. And that was a series where you'll recall that Steph Curry missed the first three games of it right, with the uh, right, right. the injury that he had suffered, uh, the MCL injury that he had suffered in the first round against Houston in that one. So they they still were up 2-1 before Curry returned and had the huge over overtime to uh get the game four win in portland on route to the 4-1 victory so you know and then the way the warriors handled houston at the end of that series without durant very impressive stuff for them you know kind of going back to the old formula in an impressive fashion
1: we here in seattle sports fans in seattle are we happy that the blazers are when the are in the western conference final kevin or how do we how should we feel about that here in the in this in the Seattle area.
0: Yeah, I think it's different for everybody. I mean, I know there's there's some fans who still consider the Blazers rivals. Uh, you know, is a product of the '90s growing up with the Sonics in the '90s. Myself, I never kind of really thought of them as rivals. I really thought more of you know Phoenix and Houston and Utah as the Sonics rivals because those are the teams that you kept running into in the playoffs over and over again. And the Sonics didn't face the Blazers in a playoff series after 1991 in the first round. So. Uh, you know, I can understand the people who who aren't able to jump on board, but it, it has also been kind of a you know a, a Seattle revenge tour here for the Blazers in the playoffs. First taking down Oklahoma City in the first round, and now Denver to uh, avenge the '94-18 upset for the Sonics.
1: Kevin, where's Durant going to play next year? Is New York the betting favorite, or will he he won't he's not going to stay in Golden State? We know that, right? He's leaving Golden State to go somewhere else. Where might he land besides New York? Clippers.
0: I'd be surprised if he went anywhere besides New York. The, the, you know, there's just so much smoke there that there seems to be a significant amount of fire. But you know, one of the interesting things is that you know, kind of the the winds that are blowing within the league and the scuttle that's out there has seemed a little bit less certain that he's leaving. Oh. You know, the last few weeks, and uh, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting. Now, I, I think if you know the Warriors get a lot of credit if uh, you know they continue to play well in his absence, that. That might not help their chances of re-signing him, right. but uh, you know, we'll see how the, the rest of the playoffs play out.
1: How many cutaways are the Curry parents <laughs> during the Western Conference final? Do you think Kevin? I
0: mean, it's a great visual because you've got <laughs> apparently they're going to flip a coin which which one gets to wear Seth's Blazers gear and which one wears Steph's Warriors gear and you know that's going to be a a storyline that will be very fun at the start and we will probably all be sick of by about game four.
1: What do you think and what does the league think of the Frank Vogel hiring in Los Angeles? Everybody's making a big deal out of Jason Kidd being also on the staff, almost as if Jason Kidd is the heir apparent before Frank Vogel even starts. If that's the case, why are they not just hiring Jason Kidd as the head coach?
0: It's a little perplexing. I know my colleague uh, Ramona Shelburne has thrown out some theories, including that they're concerned about the the perception of you know Kidd's history with domestic violence, uh, you know, especially in the wake of allegations against Luke Walton. Uh, not long after the the Lakers parted ways with him, and he was hired by the Kings as their head coach. So, you know, I. I don't know why that's really necessarily any different if he's the assistant instead of the head coach or if you're thinking about promoting him down the road. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like, you know, everyone has drawn the parallels between, you know, Ty Lou passing on this job and the situation where the Cavs, after hiring David Blatt in 2014, before they signed LeBron, also brought in Lou, who was one of the finalists for that job, is his lead assistant. And lo and behold, the following season, Lou ends up replacing Blatt. Um, You know, as far as what I think about it, uh, you know, I wrote about this for uh, ESPN Insider the other day. And, you know, the the big question to me is whether Frank Vogel can bring the kind of defense that his Indiana teams played when they got to the Eastern Conference Finals two years in a row, only to lose to LeBron in the Heat uh, as they were making their way to the NBA Finals. uh, Or it's going to be more like Orlando, where his teams didn't weren't able to take the next step defensively. And then this year, after they replaced him with Steve Clifford, they did, in fact, make that jump defensively and got back into the playoffs. So that's you know a little bit concerning that that success he had in Indiana didn't really carry over once he was in Orlando.
1: Okay, so before I get to your other ESPN insider piece that I really liked on the NBA draft, I want to also ask you about Jalen Noel because I know you're a Washington fan. It sounds to me like you think it's going to be Golden State-Milwaukee, the two number one seeds. In the NBA Finals, and I'm assuming you think Golden State wins another NBA championship,
0: right? I I think they're the favorites. I I do think that, you know, uh, there's a lot of speculation that this Golden State-Houston series was kind of the real finals, quote-unquote, the hardest test that the Warriors we're going to face on route to the championship. And and I don't agree with that. I, I, I do think it'll be, you know, a tougher test than they'll probably get from Portland, quite frankly, in the conference finals. But I, I think that whether it's Milwaukee or Toronto that comes out of the uh, the Eastern Conference, that they're going to give the Warriors if they advance their toughest test. Uh, you know, have been, those were the two best teams in the league in the regular season. And they're both pretty well equipped to match up with the Warriors because they're very deep on the wing, uh, a lot of guys who you know are kind of role players who are capable 3 point shooters can defend all the Warriors wing players i mean nobody's ever going to you know really match up well with kevin durant but you know, Kawhi Leonard's probably about as good as you can do. Uh, you know, in that regard, and you know, Milwaukee doesn't have that one single Durant stopper in that way, but it has a lot of depth and and versatility on the perimeter that you know I think could give the Warriors some trouble in the NBA Finals.
1: All right, this is the voice of uh, Kevin Pelton. He's a local Seattle guy. Remind me where you went to high school? You went to Washington. I remember that, right?
0: Uh, Mount Rainier High School.
1: Matt Rainier High School. University of Washington, writes for ESPN, writes for ESPN.com, writes for the ESPN Insider. You see him on TV from time to time as well, and he's a local guy. Local guy makes good. So you did this NBA draft. I love the NBA draft. Everybody else loves the NFL draft. I love the NBA draft because I know all the players. I don't know any of the players in the NFL draft. So you did this kind of statistical, mathematical look at the top draft choices, eligible draft choices in the upcoming NBA draft. Can you put into words for a simple guy like me and all the simple people in our audience how you figured out this statistical formula to figure out who would be the top, let's say, 30 in the NBA draft?
0: Yeah, so there's a few layers that go into it, but the most important ones are kind of you know using strength of schedule, Translating what a player did in college based on the past history of college players going to the NBA into its NBA equivalent uh, and then factoring in you know the player's age, how much we can expect them to continue to develop once they 're in the nBA and then the other really key factor is where they're ranked in the top 100 uh, big board that uh, our, our draft expert, Jonathan Gavoni puts together.
1: Okay, so uh, you put all that together and it comes out with a what? A warp? Did you call it? W-A-R-P? Is that right?
0: Yeah, w- wins above replacement players. So similar okay. to the, the wins above replacement stat in baseball, okay. yeah.
1: All right, so, so just give us a sense of who the top five, before I ask about specific players, it's pretty much who you think you're going to see in the top five, right? Very similar to Jonathan's big board.
0: Yeah, and, and no surprise because of the fact that that's a factor in it. But, uh, you know, to me, it's a, a two-player draft, and there's really, you know, two, two separate tiers at the top. Zion Williamson, of course, you know, you don't need a statistical formula to tell you, hey, this guy's the number one prospect and, and one of the very best we've seen in a long time coming out of Duke. Uh, then John Morant, who has kind of emerged as pretty much the consensus number two prospect, the point guard from Murray State, he's also number two in my projections. And then that next year, I think, is where it starts to get more interesting and uh, you know, the mirroring what they have uh, in terms of three and four. I have R.J. Barrett from Duke, number three. Uh, number Four is Darius Garland, uh, the point guard from Vanderbilt, whose season was cut short by an ACL injury and then Number Five, I have Cameron Reddish, the third player from Duke, who had kind of a disappointing freshman season, but uh, you know he projects well be another factor that 's in there is. Uh, I take into account player stats from the Nike EYBL AAU competition uh, because they also, you know, have shown to have predictive power of how players are going to do in the NBA.
1: Kevin, is Zion Williamson not just the number one pick, but one of the best, let's say, prospects to come out of the NBA draft in a long, long, long time? Or is he just the best of this crop in 2019 for the June draft?
0: M- much more the former. I mean, if you look strictly at college prospects, because it's not quite apples to apples with the international players who you know, have more chance to accumulate stats before they enter the draft, uh, Luka Doncic, you know, most notably the the number of years that he played at a high level for Real Madrid for, before coming over and starting for the Mavericks this year. But if you look just at the college guys, the only player I have dating back to 2003, which is when I, I have the, first have these projections, uh, with a better projection than Zion is Anthony Davis.
1: Wow, that's pretty good company. So before you run, let's get a, a couple of thoughts on the Washington players, one who's definitely going to be in the draft, no question about it, because his eligibility is out, and that's Matisse Thibel. I'd like to know where he falls on Jonathan's big board, ESPN's big board, and your mathematical big board. And then the one that I keep scratching my head over, because I think you told me, and I think I saw it on Jonathan's big board, that Jalen Noel may not be drafted. It, it, it looks like, I mean, if you were to bet right now whether Jalen Noel is going to be drafted in the two-round NBA draft, you would say what?
0: Yeah, I would probably... I would slightly lean toward no.
1: Okay, so if he knows or if he hears that there's a good chance he won't be drafted, there's a lot of Washington fans, and I I, I, I consider myself kind of a casual Huskies fan. I, I'm a big Hopkins fan. Should we still hold out some level of hope that Jalen Noel says, even though that would seem like a very conclusive goodbye? Is there still some shred of hope that maybe Noel will change his mind? You can do that now with agents this year and come back and play one more year at Washington to improve his draft stock.
0: Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, the one thing we don't know is whether he's been, you know, still attending classes at UW, which is part of the requirement if you are going to withdraw. That uh, you know, you can't miss any class time for workouts with teams and. You, know, you got to be continuing to progress towards your degree, so that's a, a component of it. The, in addition to, you know, the the even though you can sign with an agent now, as he has, and, and still return to college. But uh, you know, I kind of take him at his word that he's all in here, and I I don't think he would be surprised by necessarily. You know where he ranks right now. It's where he's ranked all season, pretty much, or, or possibly even higher. So, you know, I think he's going into this with eyes wide open. And you know, I think one thing that's probably a factor is uh, another local guy, Alonzo Trier, who was played in Federal Way before transferring down to Nevada to uh, you know finish up his high school career and playing at Arizona. The fact that he went undrafted last year, signed a two-way contract with the Knicks played so well that they very quickly tore that up and gave him, you know, a new contract that made him actually one of the higher paid rookies this year, paid much more than a lot of guys who got drafted in the first round. And I, you know, I think players like Jalen Noel are looking at that as kind yeah. of, okay, I don't necessarily even need to get drafted to have an opportunity but, in the NBA now that there are these two-way contracts.
1: Uh, Kevin, that is such the exception, right? For every, <laughs> yes. for every Trier story like that, there's got to be 100 guys that go undrafted, and then don't ever make it in the NBA. And here's Jalen Noel, who's got two years of eligibility left. He could handle the ball next year a little bit, certainly in the first half of the season. He could he could show off and do things that maybe NBA sc- – unless there's a family need here, and I don't ever want to step in front of that. But I, I just can't see how a player like Jalen Noel, if he doesn't have a family need – would accept not being drafted at all in the June draft and have his professional playing career up in the air when he can come back and play a third season at Washington and improve his status across the board. I don't get that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would, you know, again, independent of the need situation, I I would advise him to come back if I were, you know, advising him on on his draft status because I do think, you know, scouts are going to look at him in a slightly different way you know next season you know knowing that he is almost certain to be in the draft than they were this year where it's more of a you know we're intensely scouting Matisse Stiebel and we're also keeping an eye on Jalen Noel it's it's that's kind of the element now you know I think the argument that he would make probably is okay I'm probably not going to be playing with the ball in my hands as much next year because Quade Green's coming in as a transfer and you know, I already shot 40 plus percent from three in Pac-12 play, so it's not like I'm going to be able to show scouts that I've improved my shooting as compared to that. Uh, I was Pac-12 Player of the Year. How much better can I do? I guess that would that would be what he's thinking.
1: Yeah, where's Thibault fit in in all of this?
0: I, I think late first round, uh, uh, Gavoni uh, you know, has consistently had him in the mid 20s in their big board. Uh, a lot of buzz about the Philadelphia 76ers being the uh, the kind of team who might take an interest in him. Uh, they certainly could have used some more help off the bench in, in this series in the, in Game Seven, uh, you know, where they really had to to shorten their rotation to uh, you know compete against Toronto. But uh, you know, I think works really well for Thybul, who who actually projects even better in my projections. Although I you know I you know, offer the caveat, uh, something I'm sure you've seen that you know oftentimes the steal and block numbers the guys put up right. in that Syracuse style zone right. don't necessarily translate over to the NBA, and that makes them a little more difficult to project statistically. But uh, you know I think what works in his favor is he's got this ideal role player skill set, especially if he can develop as a shooter. And the teams that are picky at the end of the first round, it's usually good teams who they don't need someone like Noel to come in who can create a lot of offense. They've got guys to do that. They need those role players to fill in, uh, be able to defend on the wing, and eventually knock down three.
1: The voice of Kevin Pelton does a hell of a job. You can follow him on the Twitter at k. Pelton, P-E-L-T-O-N, read him on ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com, ESPN's Insider, and hear him not only on this mediocre podcast, but on his fabulous Pelton cast, which uh, comes out how often? Kevin, I, I don't, I don't know the answer because I haven't been invited as a guest on just yet. How often <laughs> well, are you? Uh, how often are you producing these shows?
0: Uh, typically once a week, when okay. the, aside All from right. some special episodes. But the, you have a standing inv- invitation. We also do, we also do a talk and uh, a podcast called and Taco Time, and you have a standing invitation to join us to talk about the Chris Carson
1: incident. Uh, Yeah, I keep going out to my mailbox and looking for that invitation in the mail. (laughs) Kevin Pelton, terrific stuff. Thanks for being a a friend of our podcast, and we hope to visit with you real soon. Thanks for doing this.
0: Of course, anytime.
1: Kevin Pelton, the NBA writer for ESPN and ESPN.com. He's also a local guy and the host of the fabulous Pelton podcast, which you can listen to in addition to Mitch Unfiltered. Excellence. I know. Everybody talks about it. How many people actually practice what they preach, though? I know Daniel's Broiler does. In fact, that's one of the very things that makes Daniel's Broiler so appealing to me is the excellence, and I'm sure a lot of Mother's Day dinners and lunches would agree with me after this past weekend. I love USDA Prime Steaks at Daniel's Broiler. I love the seasoning and the fact that the steak's flavor is seared into the steak in a broiler that's set at 1,800 degrees. But you want to know what I love even more? The fact that every time I order a USDA Prime Steak at Daniel's, a wait person comes up to me when my steak is served, with a little flashlight and asks that familiar question, have we prepared your steak to your satisfaction? That happens every time to every person who orders any of Daniel's world-class steaks. And boy, will we be ever serving world-class steaks on June 12th for our next special evening that you can reserve a spot to by going to MitchUnfiltered.com. Be with us on June 12th for our special U.S. Open dinner. Locally owned by the Schwartz family, located at South Lake Union, Leschi Marina, Bellevue Place, and now the new downtown Hyatt Regency serving breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Be with us on June 12th at 6.30 for Q&A. And Calcutta's and U.S. Open conversation and the very, very best meal that you can get in the Pacific Northwest. Daniel's Broiler, world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Okay, Jayham in Vancouver, Mitch in uh, in Bellevue, Mitch Unfiltered. As we continue on episode number 39. So Kevin Pelton, ESPN, ESPN ESPN.com. He also covers the draft. He says, Jay Ham, that he is leaning towards, if pushed to the wall, that Jalen Noel will not be drafted in either the first or the second round. Slight lean to not being drafted at all, which makes me wonder, gosh, you have a couple of years of eligibility left, and you're allowed even if you signed with an agent to come back and play one more year at the University of Washington. Now, now Pelton brings up some interesting points. A, we don't know whether he's going to class. He would have to be still going to class to be able to come back. And, num- mm-hmm. and number two, he might be saying, well, I shot 40% from three. I'm not going to do much better than that. I was the Pac-12 player of the year. I'm not going to do much better than that. There's really not much more for me to prove at the University of Washington for me to come back. If if Jalen Noel, in your mind, J-Ham, knew that he wasn't going to be drafted at all and he'd be a free agent, would that change his mind at all about what he decides to do?
2: Yeah, again, I'm not talking to, talking to Jalen about this specifically, but I, I would think that anybody who enters the draft and who – was the the former Pac-12 player of the year is thinking I'm doing this 100% all in and I'm not coming back. And so even if that were to be the case, um you know, I think he 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 is focused on becoming a professional basketball player whatever that means and if that means uh, the nba uh, which of course is his goal, and then, then that's what it is if it means the g league and or overseas and and potentially getting back to the nba at some point I, you know I, I would be shocked at this point uh to see Jalen the will change change directions and pivot and come back to you
1: is it a mistake
2: well i don't i don't know if that's that's a loaded question. Well, I, okay. I,
1: what, what, let let me ask it to you the way I asked Pelton. Let's assume that there's not a family need here, that there's not something we don't know, a personal issue that is is near and dear to the Jayla Noel family's situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's let's take that out of it because none of us know that. If there's not some some reason for him to want to play, I don't know, in, in Europe, he can make a lot of money playing in Europe. He can, he can make a lot of money next year one way or the other, and maybe this is just a family decision. If we took that out of it, so I make it less of a loaded question, if I told you that it's 50-50 that he's even going to get to, forget first round, forget lottery, he may not be picked in the second round. It's 50-50 whether he's just a, he's maybe you'll tell me that it's better to be not not drafted Undrafted than being drafted to one team late in the second round. I don't know. Is it a mistake if that's what he's thought of in NBA circles?
2: I think the biggest thing with Jalen is what position he's going to play. He's such a tweener in the NBA that that's really the issue for him. You know, a, a lot like Isaiah Thomas. Even though Isaiah's issue was height, he couldn't grow. Nice. I mean that wasn't going to be a thing, and so he was kind of locked into what he was. I think Jalen's not quite as locked in as, as Isaiah Thomas was, um, but at the same time, uh, he he's still going to be a tweener in the league. He he's not a classic two, and he's certainly not a one. Not a one in the in the Ja Morant um, school of of you know point guards, scoring guards today. He's not Russell Westbrook, right? Uh, and I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. I'm just saying that's the way that the nBA views players, and so he he could come back and improve some things, maybe run a team a little bit better, improve his shooting percentage, or you know not turn it over as much uh and and become a guaranteed i'm gonna say guaranteed. Uh, draft pick, but it could still be in the second round. So, if you're him, how, how much how much difference is that really in the big picture? Do you just bet on yourself, and maybe maybe as a second rounder, you you get a guarantee contract? Maybe you don't. Maybe you have to be a free agent. Maybe you just roll the dice. And so, I don't I don't really see much in the way of is he making a mistake because he I don't think he has first round capability. He so if it's not first round then everything after that is is sort of up in the air and and at that point it's a crapshoot no matter what.
1: What'd you think of Kawhi's corner fadeaway bouncing up in the air jumper to end game 7 of the Raptors 7 over Joel Embiid by the way. I think Joel Embiid came over to help. And, yeah. and Kawhi lifted and scored over everybody in the corner. What do you think of that shot?
2: Well, unfortunately, unlike the Portland-Denver game that I watched the, the entire thing before I, I got on the road to, to Vancouver, B.C., um, I was listening on the radio as I was driving up uh, and heard that and didn't actually – see the video until much later of, of how that thing ping-ponged around before <laughs> dropping down and the fan reaction and all that I mean you want to talk about well first of all he missed a free throw yeah that set up yeah the you tie. Know, yeah that was huge that you would have thought you know as, as good of a free throw shooter as he is and as clutch as he's been that that was going to be a foregone conclusion allowing Philly to tie it but Man, what a big time shot and, and you know who's not loving that trade right now between DeMar DeRozan and and Kawhi Leonard. Uh you know, they're going to back up the Brinks truck for him to keep him in, in in Toronto if that's possible, but wow, big time big time shot and, and a clutch performance to get uh, the Raptors to the finals of a, the Eastern Conference.
1: I need a clarification. Am I supposed am I happy that the Portland Trail Blazers are advancing deep into the Western Conference. Uh, how do I feel? I'm a Sonics fan. How do how do Sonics fans? How are we supposed to feel about the Portland Trail Blazers and CJ McCollum's 37 and Damian? Lill? Are we supposed to be rooting for the Blazers to win it all? How does this work?
2: Oh, I don't know about to win it all, but but and and really, it isn't even a provincial thing because we we all know going back years about the 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 corridor rivalry between the Sonics and the Blazers and all that, but you know we don't have a team, <laughs> we don't have a team, and there's plenty of Portland area fans that are rooting for the Mariners and the Seahawks, so so I'm sure that there's a, a little bit of reverse there of, of of Seattle fans rooting for the Blazers when they normally would never ever ever do that. Um, I'm not particularly one of those people. I just I, I'm just glad to see good basketball. That was a hell of a series. Unbelievable games in that Denver Portland series. And it's fun to see Damian Lillard kind of coming to his own. CJ McCollum was huge uh, in game seven, really carried them. Uh, I I don't know if I've seen two role reversals as much where you go, you know, one for 14 from three point range with the Blazers and then have have, uh, Denver basically. Mirror that in the second half from three-point range. Just an odd game, but just really highly, highly competitive series. It was fun to watch.
1: Are you rooting for Seth, or are you rooting for Steph in the Western Conference Finals?
2: So my wife is is a Warriors hater. <laughs> Why? Why is she a Warriors hater? What did they do to her? She, she's just over it. <laughs> she's over it. I'm I'm actually kind of on the other side where I know this is the last year of whatever they're going to be. You know, I don't expect Katie to be back. Maybe not Clay, but, you know, who knows what's going to happen with that. I, I'm not saying I want them to win. I'm not cheering for the Warriors. Um, but, you know, if this is the last year of, of that group in its form, you know, I'd like to see them, I'd like to see them compete at the at the highest level, so I was happy to see them advance over Houston. You know, I'm really anxious to see what this Toronto Milwaukee series is going to be like, and whether Giannis is is willing to put his team on his shoulders if he's ready to do that yet, or if Kawhi can can keep the magic alive with with the Raptors and and get something done.
1: I look at Seth and I look at Steph, and I mm-hmm. see no family resemblance. It's unbelievable. Seth Seth is the picture of his father, and mm-hmm. Steph is the picture of his mother. And the two of them, I don't think look anything alike. I I think if they were standing next to her, you next to one another, you would not see any resemblance. You wouldn't even know that those those two were brothers. Uh, but uh, they're gonna they're gonna face off against one another in the Western Conference Final. All right, yeah. Couple last uh, uh, pieces of business before we uh, finish up, and we call this episode Zonk. Uh, Tony Romo. Yep. Talked a lot about him in 38P. Uh, He goes out, he shoots plus eight. He misses the cut by eight shots. He beats four players. He had an eagle in there, a bunch of bogeys. It sounded to me, reading the descriptions that he played, probably as well as he could have hoped to have played and still was obviously not in the mix. Uh, Are we finished? Have we OD'd? When can I... When can I know that the coast is clear of celebrities and sports and athletes from other shapes and sizes coming into the PGA Tour, not the Nike Tour, not the whatever, the the, the mini tours, coming into the PGA hmm. Tour and playing at the Byron Nelson Golf Classic. When When is the coast clear? Can we now – can we call no. an end to this, please? Can we call no. an end to this? No.
2: No. I mean – I don't remember you remarking about Steph Curry at the Safeway in Napa. Um, I, I want to say he he actually shot even par on one of the days, um, and then had a had a big big number like a eight over par the other day. I mean, it, you know, it's clearly it's clear that those guys aren't aren't ready for that kind of competition. But I think. It certainly brings a different flair. You're you you're a little bit more interested um, in maybe an otherwise tournament that you wouldn't be. Well, you and I disagree about the whole taking a spot from, um, but whether or not you want to see it or not, I mean, I, I can't I can't tell you what you want to watch. But it's not going away. I can tell you that. I don't want to watch it.
1: I'm done. I'm over it. I don't need to see Tony Romo go play in the PGA Tour. I don't need to see – I know they're great athletes. I know they're very, very good golfers. I know they'd kick both of our asses, even if it was you and I in a best ball against one of them. I got it. I got it. But I don't need to see them play on the PGA Tour. I Mm -hmm. I, I am so finished with that. Give the the spot – to somebody who can go out and shoot 67 67 67 and maybe earn their card for the next few weeks or few months or play their way into a major or play their way into a into a PGA Tour members card. Give give the spot to somebody who can make a cut and 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 has has played great great golf and has made a life out of the journey to the PGA Tour as opposed to a guy who played quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. That's what I say anyway. Uh, are you ready with your PGA Championship pick? I am. Really? Mm-hmm. I'm ready. Because I don't have one. So you're going out on a limb here without me. Who's your PGA no, I'm, champ? I'm gonna,
2: it's it's time I'm for do it, I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna do it on the on the patron patron episode <laughs> on, on, on Wednesday. Why? Because but I-, I already <laughs> ha-
1: I already have the pick though. All right. Well, everybody needs to know to get their PGA Championship picks in if you want to compete in the uh, the Unfiltered Majors Challenge, which could result in you and a guest going with me and perhaps uh, Jason D. Hamilton to Pebble Beach in July and playing Pebble Beach Golf Links and Spyglass and staying at the Pebble Beach Lodge. you got to get your pick in for the PGA Championship this week before Thursday. Did you see that Chris Stapp's Porzingis got into a brawl Outside a nightclub in Latvia,
2: Jay. Hamm. No, I, I did not.
1: I okay. did not. Are you I'm, serious? I'm serious, and I'm feeling very guilty. Why? Um, well, I saw I saw a little of the video of the aftermath. I saw the gash. There's a big gash over his eye. Um, and then I read the TMZ report, and I know I shouldn't giggle, and I know that I shouldn't make make light of a brawl that somebody could have gotten hurt. Nobody did get hurt. But I just can't help but read the TMZ report that states, you ready for this? The Mm -hmm. men who attacked Porzingis were upset that he left the New York Knicks who traded him to the Mavericks. On uh, January thirty first, due to part, due in part to the All Star being disgruntled with the franchise, and why is it that I look at the video of him bleeding over the eye, and I read the TMZ report, and I just, I just hear Marv, I just, I just hear a bloody Kristaps Porzingis outside a Latvian nightclub. Yes, Be- two men attacking Porzingis. Only because he left the New York Knicks. You know, I, I just, I just, I, <laughs> I just hear, I don't know. Oh God, I just hear Marv with a bloody Chris Stapps perzingis. Anyway, uh, have you seen in the last, last piece of uh, news for today for episode 39 oh, and then you can go get yeah. some sleep. Maybe you haven't seen anything so we can just, we can just suspend this to the next thing. Uh, do you know that, do you know the name Matthew Bowling? I don't. Have you not followed the the Houston area high school track star, the sprinter? Yes, the sprinter, the hundred meter guy, the hundred not not just the hundred meter guy, but yes, the hundred meter guy. Have you seen yeah, the I, video? I, Have you followed I, this story?
2: No, I haven't really followed, but I did I did catch. Uh, I, I did catch a video glimpse of of one of his most recent races where he was just blowing people's doors off.
1: Okay. We won't talk about it much here, but I, I'm going to give you an assignment for, for 39P. You've hmm. got to go search out the video of this guy. He set the all-time record for the 100-meters high school, not just in Texas, in the history of high school 100-meter races. Okay, in April he ran a nine nine eight, but that was wind dated and that didn't count. He was the first sub sub-10, one hundred meter runner in the history of high school runners. He's a six A guy, high school guy from the Houston area. He ran in the state title and he went ten point one three in front of twenty two thousands with twenty two thousand people, which was a twenty nine year record. So he broke a twenty. He's now the fastest high school one hundred meter racer runner in the history of high school running
2: mm-hmm. but
1: but here's the kicker you've got and I will send it to you you've got he also won the long jump the state the the Texas state long jump uh championship and you've got to see the video of his anchor run in the 4x400 four relay that is the greatest piece of video four by
2: four four by 400 he's he's the wow you don't typically see a guy that's a hundred meter guy that's sprint like that be good in in the in the okay. 400 as well but okay
1: uh you will you will agree that that video of his anchor run and i'm not going to give any more away i'm not going to tell you anything more about it his his anchor performance in the state title four by four hundred that's on video everywhere. It's gone viral. You just gotta watch that piece of video before 39 p. Just promise me that. I'm in. All right. So that's it. I. That's it. I. Uh, Max didn't make. Max wanted to be on this episode, but movie mogul Max didn't make the cut. Movie mogul Max. Spoiler alert. Because I work at a theater, I am allowed to say in my professional opinion. Because I am truly a professional. He saw another movie he wanted to be on. He desperately wanted to be on episode 30 39, but we're going to have to save him for 39p.
2: What are you going to preview what what the or what the uh
1: I don't know, Detective what, Piccolo or something Precolo, I I don't know. Some uh, some Pokémon, th- I don't have I don't have any idea. He Oh, wanted,
2: Detective uh, Pikachu.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Look at you. Yes, de- Detective Pikachu. That's right. Yeah. He wanted yeah. to review Detective Pikachu on episode 39. And I gave, I gave I gave him am, a stiff arm.
2: I am really glad that you decided not to put him on. Why? It, Detective Pikachu. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. It has nothing to do with Max. Just Detective uh, Pikachu. Ep- there's no way that that There's no way that that movie could be good okay. in any form or fashion. So Max could save that
1: one. <laughs> all right, you go to bed because you have an early morning. When everybody else will be listening to episode 39, would you like to take the honors of uh, episode Zonk in the books, or do you want me to do it? You can do this one. Episode Larry Zonka, ladies and gentlemen. The Zonk is in the books.